As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together. As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time. Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcasts. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons. Ben, uh, you grew mm-hmm. up in a family, didn't you? Yep, I had a, a, a yep, full-on family. Yep. Yeah? Did yeah. you? Did your family... Now, you grew up in southern Minnesota, little... Southern, little, southern Minnesota, yeah, little town. 10,000 people. Southern Minnesota. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did your family have little habits... Or practices that were unique to your family, and you didn't know they were until mm. you like went out, like launched out into the big, brave blue world. Mm. Let me give you an example from my mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when back when I was a kid, back in the olden day, back in the twentieth century, and you you had a family too. You grew up in a family. I had a family as well. We have this mm-hmm. in common, uh, and they used to attach the phone to the wall. And it had a cord yeah. on the on the yeah. end of the phone, so you couldn't go anywhere. And when the phone would ring, right. we we would answer it, and we yeah. we didn't just say hello. Okay. We would say hello, Tebby residents. Okay. And that's how we were tutored to answer the phone. And if it's we very, didn't very say formal, hello, very polite, Tebby yeah. residents, we got in big trouble. And mm. I remember the first time I went to a friend's house, and they were just like, "Hello," I was like, "What are you doing?" 
that person must think you're so rude now. I, I'm just like, yeah. how will they know who they're calling? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, people do just dial random numbers and they're right. like, I wonder whose number this is. <clears throat> What's the uh, Tappy residence? Another little uh, cultural habit my family had is that we had little liturgies mm-hmm. for when we uh, sneezed yeah. and burped. Okay. So um, we had to acknowledge that what we did was uh, maybe rude. A faux pas. Right. And so when we sneezed, Mm -hmm. we would say, excuse me. Okay. And you had to follow your sneeze up with excuse me. And when you burped, you had to say pardon me. But you couldn't say pardon me for sneezing or excuse me for burping. Like, did you ever try, or was it just never done? You, it just you would not. Tra- this was an unspoken, capital unwritten N, rule that could D, not be transgressed. Done. Yeah, it was just how it is. It's just how you do it. Yeah. And I remember the first time, uh, you know, again, I would, you know, go outdoors. Yeah. Sometimes out the world and, and go over to a friend's house, College. and people would burp and mm-hmm. sneeze without uh, indicating they say anything, indicating the immense burden it placed upon me to be in their presence. <laughs> Right. I and I was just didn't. like, well, these are bar- these are heathens. These are barbarians you, I'm with. You are excused. Anyway, those uh, are yeah. like two cultural liturgies in my family that were super, yeah. super strict, but yeah. that other people just didn't follow. So I'm wondering if you had things mm. like that in the Sternke household. You know, the only thing, there's probably other things, but um, uh, the only thing that comes to mind right now is our one of our liturgies was dinner at six on the dot. And that, like, it was, as somebody who now prepares food for my family most nights, um, I'm I'm just exceedingly impressed by my mother's ability <laughs> to have dinner ready at 6 p.m. on the dot every single night. Yeah, you know, but you you prepare, like, gourmet soups and <laughs> etouffees, and your mom was just doing, like, probably Chef Boyardee so, yeah, and yeah, cuisine, right? I mean, she, she was a decent cook, but she had, you know, she had her, like, two-week rotation, and it was... Uh, it was, you know, it was very... This is nothing against your mom. This is nothing against no, no, your mom. No, no, no. But in the no. 80s, it was like, hey, mm-hmm. homemakers. Hamburger helper. Here's, yeah. Here is how to have an instant meal in a box full of sodium yeah. and carbs, you know? It means your kids are going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. but, but that was, it was, I, I recognized that not only was it not normal for families to have dinner together, um, like every single night, it was a it was a liturgy, but but the... The, um, I was just impressed with the the, the specificity of 6 p.m. Yeah. And my dad, my dad was a doctor, and he would get home like literally 30 seconds before we started dinner sometimes. Like he would time his his getting home to like my mom timing the dinner. And like we would all sit down at 6 p.m. And my dad would like pull in the driveway and then enter the door, put his bag down, and sit down at the table. That's how like coordinated this all was. Yeah, this, this reminds and me of And it was just all normal. Yeah, this reminds me of that old uh, sea captain from Mary Poppins who would fire the cannon on top of his house, you know, on the dot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. If it I sounds this. like it's, it. This sounds like a, yeah. it just reminds me of like a military family, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was so precise. I mean, nothing else about our family was military was mm-hmm. very strict or anything like that that I can remember. It was just like that was when we ate, and it was like boom, it was right on the dot, yeah. six p.m. So fascinating, man. Yeah. Well. Those were different times. Now people different times. now people uh, burp and sneeze, even fart with impunity. Yep. 
And, you know, who knows when we're going to sit down for dinner. It'll be sometime after 5.30 and sometime before 8, <laughs> typically at my house. So uh, well, there's no meetings happening. World's going anyway. to hell in a handbasket. But you know what you can count on? You know what you can count on is the Gravity Leadership Podcast to deliver the goods. And we're going to get into a great conversation Every today Tuesday. with Eric Seibert on nope. uh, enjoying the Old nope. Testament. No, nope. no. Nope. K.J. Ramsey. What? <laughs> Start it over. <laughs> cut it. Start it over. Just uh, so preview of coming attractions. Aaron Strickey, uh, have... go ahead and cut that out. <laughs> I appreciate all the work you do, Aaron, on the on the cheap for us. Uh, sorry. Well, I was I'm excited about Eric uh, Seibert's interview, so look for That's that coming one soon. in several weeks. Yeah. But uh, KJ Ramsey was also a delight, and this mm-hmm. interview, uh, I have to recalculate my inner uh, feelings about this. Mm-hmm. Please hold. He's recalling now. I can see it in his face. He's recalling. I really like this interview with KJ. Uh, it was so good, wasn't it? Yep. I just got a. Yeah. I got a subtle but uh, pervasive wash of uh, serotonin through yeah. my body because I was yeah. remembering how uh, delightful this was. It was. And so, it's, there's Your some interviews, Ben, if I may say, mm-hmm. where uh, it's just kind of it's kind of like a back and forth, and we get some information, and then there's some interviews where I feel like there's a real like joining that's happening. Yeah, like there's a there's like a like a resonance, like we're communing yeah. together over the internet waves. And I felt like that with KJ. I she's she's great. Her book's she's incredible. Marvelous, marvelous author, marvelous um, writer. Well, sorry, KJ, for thinking you were Eric. You look nothing like him, mm-hmm. uh, and your book is actually nothing like his. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we can get past yeah. this and <laughs> carry on. Carry on. Online friendship. But before yes, we get into on. KJ's uh, interview, I just want to mention that I am starting a. Gravity Leadership Academy cohort. In the next several weeks, I have two spots left. If you are, if you've been on the fence or thinking I should get into that, or maybe I just want to learn more about that, I know you hear ads every week about it, but please let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could be this could be your moment. Celine Dion yeah. is singing mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. This could be your moment. Somewhere if we on- had some like cool background music, we could put it on in the background and just try to inspire people. Yep. Additionally, Christy Penley is Christy, also starting a cohort, yeah, and she has a couple cohort. spots left. And I know there is a preferential treatment of Christy. There's some the gravity. People community. are like, I want to be, I want to be part of Christy's cohort. Yep. Yep. So, so anyway, so yeah, hit us up. If well, that tickles how, how your fancy, they hit, maybe just email you. Uh, is that the best way to look at it, look into it, Matt? Western Union. I prefer you yeah. using Western Union. But Telegrams. because of the issue of time, you know, that oh, maybe it is time sensitive. Yeah, I guess yeah. email then. I'll check emails. Okay. Uh, for this, I will check your email. Yeah, matt at gravityleadership.com. And send me that too for Christy, and I'll get you connected to her. Perfect. All right. All right. Well, let's get into uh, this interview with KJ. Giddy up. KJ Ramsey joins us once again on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. She is a trauma-informed, licensed professional counselor and writer whose work offers space to see every part of our souls and stories as sacred. She holds degrees from Covenant College and Denver Seminary and is the author of This Too Shall Last, which we talked about the last time she was here, and the new book we're talking about today, The Lord is My Courage, Stepping Through the Shadows of Fear Toward the Voice 
of Love. She and her husband, Ryan, along with their two exceptionally cuddly dogs, Merton mm-hmm. and Riza, live in uh, near Denver, Colorado. KJ, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I'm really excited to chat about uh, this book. Um, Psalm 23 is probably one of the most famous texts uh, in the world, right? Um, even mm-hmm. um, people who don't profess Jewish or Christian faith, I think, are familiar with this psalm. And in this book, you take this really well-known psalm and you go word by word, phrase by phrase, to reflect on the theological um, and maybe uh, psychological and formational wisdom therein. Um, help us understand, where'd you get the idea for this? What was the genesis or catalyst for using Psalm 23 in this way? Yeah, I did not plan um, on writing a book about Psalm 23. I planned on writing a book about practicing courage, and I realized that the place that I had most learned to walk with courage and try to have courage, um, to receive courage, was in leaving and healing from spiritual abuse and religious trauma. Mm. And so I became just totally captivated by the story of Jesus feeding the crowds. And in Mark, it says, he had compassion on them for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I just started to dwell with that compassion of this Lord who has compassion on those who are like sheep without a shepherd. And eventually that kind of meditation on Christ took me to the roots of what Jesus was actually enacting there in the feeding of the 5,000 was a a deliberate enactment of Psalm 23. So (laughs) it was by means of my own pain and being a shepherdless sheep. Um, and coming back to this good shepherd that took me to the beginning of the good shepherd um, story in scripture. And then my mind just was blown from there. But hmm. yeah, I have to say it's a beautiful uh, cover. It's one of the most engaging, like every time I see it online or somebody posts about it, like I'm, I'm just drawn to it. Um, and so, I, you know, I know that a book, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Um, don't you but, dare, Ben. Uh, don't you If dare. I did judge this book but by its do. cover, <laughs> I would say, we do. Of course we do, right? That's why so much effort goes into creating them, right? It's not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, book covers aren't just uh, the text of the book. Anyway, yeah. um, but if I was going to judge uh, your book by its cover, uh, I would say it seems to line up um, uh, really well. So it's just gorgeous and beautiful. Mm, thank uh, you. Art, artwork. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really grateful for how it turned out and that I got to help like have a designer that could envision something of yeah. what's really inside and that like this yeah. is a dark journey but it's beautiful and I'm yeah. I'm still just delighted with how that yeah, turned it's out. Yeah, really well done. It's really well done. Yeah. I think I think um a lot of people think that books are written because someone is interested in something and they do a lot of research on it and then mm-hmm. they deliver their data or their investigation and they teach us everything that they know and they've cogitated on. 
Um, the way you narrate this book, though, is um, something happened to you that you wouldn't choose or wish on other people, and you had to make sense of that and figure out how to process and metabolize and walk through that, and out of the thing you wouldn't have chosen was birthed something that uh, brings hope and light and goodness to the world. Um, is this is this how your writing happens, KJ? Is it are, are you are you simply trying to be a good human, and from that <laughs> and from that comes uh, bread for us? Is that is that typically how this works for you? I think, yeah, I think I'm making. I think I. What happens is I am met in the middle of my own dark valleys and the experience of being met there by this divine presence is too astounding to not share about. Hmm. And also I am a big nerd and <laughs> I just <laughs> like I do. So yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> the nerdy part is like being the making sense of these experiences is that I've found over and over again, as I combine, as I bring together, bring into conversation um, neuroscience and scripture and theological reflection, that they're saying the same things about this person who meets us. Mm -hmm. And it, I find, can be motivating to have hope that there is a shepherd coming to seek us, that goodness and love really are hounding us and haunting us um, because there are there are ways to almost um, open yourself up to that reality breaking into your life. Um, so yeah, it's partly being met and it's partly making sense of how that happens and that it's not just for me. Yeah. Yeah. KJ, you know, we have a similar language. You use the dark matter as an analogy for love in, in the book. Um, and actually, I want to quote something. You say, um, quote, while dark energy is expanding the universe, dark matter is holding it together. Invisible love is sustaining the universe every moment of every day. And we use a metaphor in gravity that communicates that same idea. I'm curious if you could just expand on how you see the love and the dark matter energy related. Yeah. yeah speaking um, of geeking out, like this is, we love to geek out on this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, oh, thankfully this opened straight up to where, where you're at there. Um, <laughs> it was meant to be. Yeah, yeah that's kind of funny. That's actually. Dark, that's that, how that the dark never happens. That never that's happens. That's how the dark matter works. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that I've always been so fascinated by the Colossians one, like Jesus holds all things together. Yeah. And what does that mean? And that like in this dis this world of disparate experiences and people that like the longer that I live the more that I realize the separation between me and you is actually not as great as I imagine that like we breathe the same air and we are like, you know, mm -hmm. even now our nervous systems are 
affecting one another as we as we make eye contact and and we hear each other's voices. Um, and so while that is not exactly the same thing as dark matter versus dark energy, um, I think that there is a like a heart to the universe where in we are all being upheld and we are all more connected than we yeah. imagine. And I think yeah. that is is um, part of what I witness when I think about things like the way love is sustaining the universe through the ways like our atoms are being upheld. Mm. So that's my thoughts yeah. on that for today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I really resonate with that, KJ. Um, just that, that w- the way that um, sort of some of these new discoveries in science uh, can kind of almost just lead us into mysticism. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, the, uh, during the Enlightenment, it seemed to demystify the world. Um, but it's like, as we've progressed, it's like, oh, never mind. Maybe we had some things right, <laughs> you know, about, about the way that we thought about the world, you know, the uh, spirits and the unseen realm and, and our mm-hmm. connection. And, and yeah. um, it's, it's lovely to kind of go back to the scriptures and see some of those resonances. Um, and even like ancient, you know, writers, the, the church fathers and the mothers, um, this is all kind of in there as well um, for them. And so, um, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't um, claim to understand it. Yeah. But then again, yeah. I don't understand God either. Yeah. So yeah. I just mostly like I marvel at yeah. those things that like, yeah. yeah, there is something holding us together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's a that, that's that's the posture of contemplation um, that seems like it pervades your book. You know, not mm-hmm. not the posture of, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to think about it so I can yeah. explain it. Or understand it, but more like I'm going to behold this reality. Um, I'm going to, uh, yeah, seek to sort of uh, dwell in it and uh, ruminate uh, upon it. Um, and so I, I appreciate that about um, about your writing mm, uh, in general. Um, speaking of nerding out, um, you use uh, you make use of polyvagal theory uh, in <laughs> yeah. this book yeah, to describe the emotional and body brain um, or the nervous system, as you just said, um, you know, reality uh, to spiritual formation and growth. Can you give us a primer on polyvagal theory? Just, yeah, I, I'm sure most of us are unfamiliar with it. Yeah. So polyvagal expert Deb Dana talks about polyvagal theory as the science of feeling safe enough to she doesn't say it quite like this, but say yes to your life. Like hmm. it's the science of how we can feel safe enough to risk showing up in our lives and being loved and loving. Wow. Um, the vagus nerve is the longest cranial nerve in your body. And it is one of the main pathways by which your nervous system responds to the world around you and moves you into safety and connection. Hmm. And so polyvagal theory is a way of respecting the body's innate wisdom, the way God made our bodies to bring us back to love. Um, And that when we are, we, we implicitly, or your body is like, your nervous system, I talk about this in the book, it's like a stealth surveillance system. 
So your nervous system is always scanning around you, within you, between us um, for how safe you are to be able to show up and mm-hmm. and whether this experience is going to kill you <laughs> um, <laughs> physically or psychologically. And yeah. so that's happening. Like this surveillance is happening, whether you are aware of it or not. And you're responses to the world and to God are actually emanating from how safe you feel, whether Mm. you are paying attention or not. And I love to share polyvagal theory with people because I think there is so much more room to find our safety in in God and this world. um, Mm. And be able to connect um, when we honor our body's needs for safety and connection and belonging. Um, mm-hmm. And by working with the body, we can find our ways, our way there um, much, much, much faster and more mm-hmm. uh, sustainably than mm-hmm. when we treat our bodies like the barrier to belief. Mm-hmm. Yes. We come by this honestly in the Christian tradition, right? There's the entire um, ascetic traditions that ascetic, sorry, traditions mm-hmm. that that say you know the body's bad, right? Yeah. It's full of uh, it's full of sin and corruption, and, and so what it means to get spiritual is to to transcend the body. Uh, one of the things that your book does, KJ, is helps us recover Scripture not only as a place of revelation about God but a place of revelation about what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And, and what I appreciate about your work is that it's integrative, meaning you, you demonstrate the deep uh, anthropological, psychological, and sociological knowledge that Scripture has about what it means mm-hmm. to be human. Um, and, and part of that is the way that the body is included and healed in salvation. Um, can you speak a little bit, and I know um, you talk about trauma in your book, you, you started you know, this podcast talking about this book sort of being birthed out of your own healing from trauma. Can you describe how, um, how, how healing from trauma is related to polyvagal theory, and then also how it's related to Psalm 23? Yeah. I don't know why my brain's going here, but it is, so I'm going to follow it. Um, There's one of the epigraphs in the the second part of the book is from the theologian Serene Jones. And she says, why is it so powerful to say that God was on the cross in Jesus Christ? Just what is the power of the cross? Mm. It is not about valorizing trauma which the church has too often done, but actually about exposing trauma. And I'm going to trust that my mind called that up uh, because we tend to, in the church today, in the church in America today, um, there's, we find ourselves often on either end of a long continuum of either, uh only 
honoring our problems and our pain um, or mm-hmm. turning pain and the cross into this spectacle of great purpose, um, which mm-hmm. I think is what she means by valorizing trauma, <laughs> not the valorization of trauma that <clears throat> I think um, some people are claiming trauma-informed therapists like me are doing today, uh, but turning all the pain in our life into some grand purpose, um, mm-hmm. which makes God into a cruel tyrant. Yes. So yeah. to get to, I think I'll come to this answer by way of Jesus and, and Jesus as the, the manifestation of the metaphor in Psalm 23. Um, and that... In Psalm 23, David is giving us this song and this story of a shepherd who seeks the lost sheep and provides even soothing. Like, he makes me lie down. He refreshes my soul. These are not about punishment, but actually like an image of regulation of of the shepherd um, and he refreshes my soul, the shepherd actually coming to the sheep who is at its last breath. And like uh, the theologian Robin, Ro- Robert Alter, the scholar says, like breathing <sighs> into the sheep um, to bring their breath back. Uh, and that, if you place place that alongside polyvagal theory, is like the psalm actually is, is giving this grand picture of what the body actually needs to come back to that state of connection and calm. Um, So let me come back to Jesus. Jesus, by becoming human and living a full human life and experiencing fear to the greatest magnitude that his sweat was like drops of blood, um, dying, before being raised, we find this God who is our shepherd comes all the way into the the greatest and darkest depths of death that our bodies experience um, to be able to bring us back to life. Mm. Like it's that shepherd coming to the sheep and breathing into the sheep um, that almost like creational image and taken even further. This is God with us. And mm-hmm. polyvagal theory shows us, um, for example, when you are in what we call a dorsal vagal state, this is, and the we call this thing the autonomic ladder. So if you picture a ladder, yeah, you've got the top of the ladder, you got rungs coming down to the bottom. Um, on a ladder, if you look at it, if you want to get to the top of a ladder, you can't jump there. Like the rungs are the whole point. You have to climb all the way to the top. Um, your nervous system works just like that ladder. When you are at the bottom in a nervous, in a stress state um, of what we call dorsal vagal, you're feeling despair and you're feeling disconnected. You're you're in the Psalm 88 place of prayer of like darkness is my only freaking companion. For your body to come back to the top where you can say, God is my rock and my rescue, my protector, 
uh, you actually have to experience what we call co-regulation. And that's the physical presence of another person coming toward you and the sound of their voice, the, the melody of this gentle voice, the hand on your shoulder or the, the physicality of having someone sit with you. Um, that's what polyvagal theory shows us we need to start rising from the bottom of the depths of our despair back up to our place of trust in God. And that is what Jesus Christ has given us in coming to this world and coming all the way down to the bottom so that we can all rise. Um, so yeah, that's the healing of trauma uh, <laughs> is his willingness to come and experience it himself so that he can be our great high priest who comforts us in all of our weaknesses because he's experienced them. This episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sacred Wilderness, a nonprofit that's driven by a single goal to help people heal from church abuse. Sacred Wilderness was started by a team of individuals that have witnessed the and experienced the harmful impact of spiritual abuse, and they connect spiritual abuse survivors to a healthy, supportive community and cover the costs for healthy spiritual triage, care, and therapy. If you need resources to help facilitate your healing from spiritual abuse, to learn more or to help support this work, you can visit sacredwilderness.org. That's sacredwilderness.org. Thanks for supporting this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. What's, yeah. What is uh, so profound, KJ, in this book and even in our conversation is how your, your work of tethering theological and psychological truths together reclaims the body as the place of salvation. Mm. Um, and we desperately need this. We see all kinds of evidences that much of the white Western theological tradition has tended to abstract spiritual things, dematerialize what's spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, and we come by this honestly, right? We think we talk about um, ledgers and accounts having been reckoned, and we, we talk about things like that. But what we don't talk about is um, uh, our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and, and, how, and how God wants to heal uh, not just maybe um, a toxic neurotic conscience, mm-hmm. but wants to heal our nervous systems. <laughs> and, it, it, yeah. and it, you know, even as I say that, I don't know, KJ, you pro- because this is your discipline, this is your, this is where uh, you operate in God's authority and power. That that might not seem um, scandalous to say to you, but as I say these words, I'm like, is it okay if I say this? This shouldn't be right. <laughs> Am I going to get in trouble for this? Do you, what's your relationship like to that? Is this something that you're, you have a similar kind of reaction that I do, or do you have a different perspective on that? Yeah, it's not scandalous to me anymore, but uh, the comments on my work, uh, like on Instagram, tell me that it definitely is scandalous <laughs> to some people. <laughs> um, no, it's not scandalous to me anymore, but because I, it's still stunning. It's stunning to me. Um, I, 
I just have such great need of it. I have such great need of this savior and this shepherd that meets me and and that meets my clients. Um, and so like, yeah, I, I'm I'm a complex trauma survivor. You know, in this book, I talk about my experience in church, but I also have profound childhood trauma and um, that gets real com- complex to write about. So there's lots of stories that are untold, but I still have in my nervous system so much that pushes me towards self-protection and shutdown and shame because I spent so many years of my life having to protect myself from deep, deep harm. And so that story still lives in my body. And the story of Jesus is also living in my body because Christ dwells in me by the Spirit. And so um, as I, you know, even before this, I was I was moving slow. Um, last night we had, like, got together with some other survivors of religious trauma. And so we had a late night. We ended up talking way too late. And this morning was, like, I was moving much slower than I wanted. And so I was running a little bit late. And so I felt a little... Um, on edge, just like my nervous system. I could tell I was in a little bit of a stress state before coming to talk to you guys. So Mm. instead of coming on time, (laughs) I spent two minutes like giving my body what she needs so that I could not relate to all of you out of a state of scarcity or stress, Mm. but like be grounded. And so, you know, Mm. I did what what we call havening, um, which is a technique for nervous system regulation that was studied at Harvard and I'm like telling myself the truth. I am safe. Mm-hmm. I'm secure. I can show up. And and you're you're rubbing your hands together. Is that yeah. is that part of it? Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is so just for hands, our listeners. Face. Yeah, yeah they she's can't. rubbing her hands together. She's she's kind of rubbing. Yeah, her own it's shoulders. a very yeah. easy way to like include the body in yeah. being soothed um, because yeah. your body has like your skin has nerve receptors that connect with the parts of your brain that help you remember and tell your body mm-hmm. I'm safe. It's okay to I'm connect. Safe. It's okay yeah. to slow down. Um, and it worked. <laughs> so yeah. I am not scandalized by it because I'm just like, I need it. And this is where God mm-hmm. meets me. And it's the evidence in my own life is when yeah. I let God meet me in this way in my physical body, I get to show up in ways that mm-hmm. my story would generally bar me from. Yeah. I, there's a couple of things I just want to highlight about that, KJ. I think um, <laughs> first thing is a little joke. Uh, you're, you're, uh, we were joking that you, know, you, you apologized when you first got on for being two minutes late. And uh, I just remarked that I'm often two minutes late to things. But my reason is not that I'm havening, usually. <laughs> I was telling everybody else that my you reason is that I try to, I'm trying to jam another email in before my K- next appointment. KJ's havening. So, you are hastening. Hastening, yeah. I'm trying to get another thing done, checked off the list. Uh, that's funny. Anyway, so um, I was trying to get a little free therapy from KJ, too, before we hit record about that. Why is that? Why am I like this? Um, 
Sorry. Uh, what was the other thing I wanted to say? Oh, um, I just You're going to ask KJ to... for Venmo so you could pay her for that. <laughs> right, right. right. I'm, sorry. No. I'm sorry for asking you for free therapy. Here's $10 <laughs> for my two minutes of therapy. You're good. No, um, I, um, I just, I, I love, I just want to say, I loved your answer. You know, like, you know, Matt asked like, oh, is this okay to say? And, you know, you admitted there is some controversy out there about whether it's okay for yeah. you to say the things that you're saying. But I loved your answer that, like, well, I have to say these things because I need to. Like, I need them. I need these realities, and they've actually borne fruit in my life. And so I just love that posture. Uh, you know, and it just is such a contrast from the posture of, uh, no, I'm right, and here's why. Here's 18 <laughs> reasons why. Uh, but the, just the humility of being able to say, well, you know, it's actually maybe, I don't know, irrelevant if I'm right or not, but, um, but this is helpful for me. And mm-hmm. this has borne good fruit in my life. And so I have to say this. Um, yeah. Well, and I, I wish it was more implemented within church culture, church yeah. talk, because be- it's just not. I, I recently went to, within the last six months, to a retreat. It was like a four-day retreat. It was not a, a Christian faith-based retreat. And it was really focused on the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. And I went and did all, I had all these experiences and learning how to ground yourself, breath work. Um, mm-hmm. We did ice baths. We did, I mean, <laughs> stick work. There was all, anyway, there's all this stuff. And I came back and I was like really scared to tell anybody what just happened. Mm-hmm. And yet there was this sense of freedom that I had not experienced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm meeting with a counselor and doing all this trauma work. And I, I went into that first meeting with her after the retreat. And I'm like, I feel scared to tell you. <laughs> and and I was like, I need a place to communicate about this. And wh- where does it? Because I had learned all of this outside of a faith kind of based thing. And so I was, you know, breath work. I just naturally connected to prayer. Um, it was, and now these things are even a cold shower. Like there's all these different practices that people do mm-hmm. for the na- for the vagus nerve and implementing those within my daily life but also connecting them to spiritual disciplines and practices has been life changing for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm still learning, I'm still growing, I'm still discovering, but I was so excited to have this interview because I was like, mm-hmm. ooh, this is a place where like, we all get each other. <laughs> and like when I Social say things politics. like this, you guys yeah. are all shaking your head, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, Chrissy's like, well, I can talk about trauma camp here. I get that's what I called it. I called oh, it trauma I love camp that. to I them. Love that. Oh my gosh. Um, but maybe you can speak a little bit to kind of the uh, breath work and prayer and the connection and how you practice that. I would love to hear you kind of double click on that if you could. Yeah. Oh gosh. I loved everything you just said. So first of all, yes. <laughs> so good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yesterday uh, in this hanging out with these fellow survivors um, in their backyard. One of the guys has the has a tattoo that's a piece of art from Scott Erickson that's got mm-hmm. lungs and Yahweh on it. And um, I think that's a great visual of breath mm-hmm. and prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Hebrew for spirit um, is ruach and... Mm-hmm. There's this deep, inherent beauty and truth that the Spirit of God is the breath of God. And 
even in Psalm 23, like we've talked about a little bit, that image of he refreshes my soul is this Mm -hmm. shepherd getting down on the ground with this sheep that because the sheep has been so terrified by a predator um, is not breathing. Mm. And the shepherd breathes life back into the sheep, which is, Hmm. you know, an allusion to the creation story of the way that God kneeled to the dirt of this earth and breathed us into being. Mm -hmm. Um, So our relationship as humans, but as uh, Christians to breath is a hearkening back to the beginning. And there is so much room to remember our breath, to remember our inherent connection to God um, that's constant. So, for me, the way that that started was years ago um, in starting to play with this and starting to, in my work um, as a therapist, but also in my own recovery from trauma, I was realizing my how stressed I was all the time mm-hmm. and that I didn't want to live my life like that because when I'm stressed, yeah. I am irritable and easily overwhelmed and go to dark places. And um, one of the first places that I started to find comfort and to seek that comfort out and to practice that I am okay um, because God is with me was breath prayer. And it was just the, at first I wanted to have like my own prayer that I would pray of like on my inhale and on my exhale, because I'm an Enneagram four and I wanted to be all special. Um, And then I realized (laughs) like, I don't need to think of something different. Like the Jesus prayer has been prayed by Christians for millennia and I can just come back to that. So I started practicing a shortened version of the Jesus prayer, just on my inhale, Lord, exhale, have mercy. And, um, you know, it's, I don't need to get into the longer version of it, but finding, coming to my breath and practicing just that inhale and a slightly longer exhale um, throughout my days really brought more peace into my life because I was not physiologically as stressed. Um, Mm. As we lengthen our exhale, we're actually signaling throughout our nervous system that we can be safe because when we're in a stressed state, our our, um, exhale, basically our whole breath becomes shorter and more rapid, more Mm. shallow. So a longer exhale often will communicate safety and you Mm. can give your body that cue of we're okay. And and with trauma, what happens is that like we interpret the present based on our horrible past and it's happening implicitly. And maybe like you're you're actually more safe in this moment than it feels like you are. And right. breath is one of those small things that can signal to your body it's it's okay to be here right now. Yeah. Um <clears throat> so I now practice with breath, I mean, I continue to practice breath prayer. It's a constant in my life. I I carry um, like a holding cross often, and I come back to this often when I'm with clients just as a like a 
physical, tangible reminder to breathe. Yeah. <clears throat> I also, it's, it's just like any moment where I'm just always, I'm always paying attention to what's happening here yeah. and just like, am I starting to rush? Am I mm-hmm. tuning out? And my breath is my way, like my vehicle back to presence. Yeah. Um, but it's extended beyond simple breath prayer. Um, one of the big things that I practice now also is um, the emotional freedom technique, tapping. Mm-hmm. And that, or havening is another thing too, but that with things like tapping, which we don't need to explain all of what it is, and there's a little bit about that in my book, but it's a way to just another way to work with my body and with my breath to signal safety. And even when I'm doing something like a tapping meditation, for me, it is remembering my communion with God is here and secure no matter what's happening. Um, And it's just, it's remembering my story. It's remembering my place. And my body is helping me um, find my way back to that being most true, that yeah. God really is with me. Um, yeah. And it's just remarkable what happens within me yeah. when I am really, really stressed out and I really don't want to do something like tapping or take 30 <laughs> seconds to just breathe. Because you generally, like, it's the same Romans 7, like, I do what I don't want to do and I don't right, do what right. I should. And it, <laughs> I like, it's the same me, thing with regulation. To. Yeah, um, yeah, it's true. But isn't it? but when I choose the good and I turn toward the God who is with me, my body mm. sure helps me find my way there. And I within I can within a ten minute tapping session move from deep distress to even delight. Yeah. By the yeah. end, and that is because of my body yeah. that God made. So. Yeah. Those are some thoughts on that, breath. That's that's so good, KJ. I feel like we could talk to you for a long time about this, and we may hit you up later uh, to talk about some of this stuff. Um, I'm going to invite you to coffee. I'm only an hour away. <laughs> I know. Dang it. <laughs> like, Next time I'm up at yeah. Denver Seminary, I'm like, hey. Uh, yeah. So, But, you know, we have a practice in our training um, that it's just the practice of proclaiming good news, declaring good news mm-hmm. um, to, to one another and to ourselves, you know, the, and the truth about who God is. Um, but I think um, you're, you're sort of filling in some gaps here for me in terms of, I think the way that we normally think about that, we just generally, is as some sort of message. It's a cognitive um, like message. It's a verbal uh, truth that is like I, I'm, that I'm supposed to apprehend and sort of stuff into my brain until I believe it. Um, but I, I love what you're talking down. about with, yeah. yeah. I love what you're talking about with the, you know, the tapping and the havening and all these and breathing. All these techniques are basically ways, embodied, nonverbal ways of proclaiming good news to yourself um, and, and leading you know, others in, in the proclamation of good news. Uh, because all of those messages that you're sending to your body are messages of good news. They're the messages of the gospel, that you're safe, that God is with you, that it's okay to be here now, that you can be vulnerable, you can open up. It's just beautiful. Um, so anyway, I think we have some integration yeah. uh, work to do before we do any more writing on what it means to declare yeah. good news. I appreciate it. I just want to say to that, um, it's it's not 
what I am trying to offer people, and it's, you know, and it's not just me. I'm just part of a huge tradition of people that are bringing these things out there. But I am mm-hmm. uh, not rejecting the good news yeah. or circumventing it. I'm yes. just trying to help us receive it in a way that our bodies actually can receive it. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right. And yes. The, the truth is that when we are stressed, when we feel shame, when we are overwhelmed, when we are mired by trauma, um, your, our bodies cannot actually take in much verbally. Yeah. yeah. Like when you when you're in a state of stress, you are your body isn't communicating with the Broca's area in your brain, which is the mm-hmm. area responsible for language. Yeah. So you can't you can't take in um, some scripture that you've memorized right. because your body isn't making those neural connections while you're that stressed. And so to tell yourself the good news by means of your body actually starts with where you are, which is really an expression of the incarnation. And and it actually brings your body back to a place of being able to form words and receive words and share words. Um, But yeah, it's the word became flesh and dwelt among us I think for us to receive that in the middle of our hard moments um, and hard seasons, we come back to our flesh and dwell with it. Yeah. Well said. Beautiful. Yeah. This is, uh, this is all kind of brand new to the Western world. Like we're waking up to how, how bodies work and how trauma works. Um, But it's not brand new. Uh, throughout history, and it's uh, it's the scriptures don't have to teach on it because people just knew this stuff. <laughs> it's like it's assumed. And it's one assumed, of the things yeah. your book does, KJ, uh, is it is it draws out what's assumed and helps integrate with what's assumed in the scriptures to what we're just learning today, mm-hmm. and places it all as an offering before the Lord. And so, um, you know, I, I think I told you on social media, or I, I told I told the world on social media that I was trying to read this book quickly and I couldn't. So thanks a lot for that, KJ. Thanks for re- <laughs> writing such a good book. I couldn't read it quickly, uh, yeah. but it's it's worth a it's worth a delicate, decisive, deliberate read, and um, heartily recommend it. So thank you for this book. Thank you for the way that. Um, I mean, I feel mothered by you um, as, as, uh, and I mean that like, in a, you know, it's a metaphor. Uh, I feel, I, I feel it. like, like a mother, like you're, you're helping parent me into a, a more holistic integration yeah. of these yeah. disciplines that f- often hang out in disjointed ways um, in my life. So I really appreciate that. Um, KJ, how can people, uh, connect with you or find you if they want to do so. Sorry, I'm having a moment <laughs> just receiving that. That was, that was so mm-hmm. kind. Um, people can find me and my work at kjramsey.com. There's links to everything there. And I'm on social media at kjramseywrites. I'm mostly on Instagram, and then I just occasionally say things on Twitter. And yeah. Facebook, but mostly and then, on and then get out quick, quick, say <laughs> and then get and out leave. quick. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. really interact very much on Twitter, <laughs> but yeah, 
that's where people can find me in my book. Yeah. Awesome. And I'll, I'll just say one other thing, too, that's kind of frustrating about your book, KJ. Every chapter, <laughs> and there's like, I don't know, 30 chapters. Every 35. chapter. 35. <laughs> okay. Every uh-huh. chapter, there are at least two books you quote from that I'm like, my Amazon cart is busting at the seams. Uh, Good. So that's uh, the point. <laughs> yeah, it was super great. Anyway, the book is called "The Lord Is My Courage: Stepping Through the Shadows of Fear Toward the Voice of Love." KJ, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you for thank having you. me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at AaronSturkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to GravityLeadership.com slash message and click the Start Recording button. You can also email us at podcast at GravityLeadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.